Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we're feeling it. If this is your first time joining us. Welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Oh, I have a great question. Okay. One second, I need to Google are real you, fast. Are you Googling a joke and then you're going to tell it to us? No, I'm not just going to tell you a joke right now. He is. He's Googling a joke. No, it's joke. not. <laughs> Hello. Welcome, everybody. Glad to have you with us again. Um, we are going to start off today the same way that we start off every week by going over what we're feeling. Um, and then we're going to move into a little bit of news, tech news this week. Um, and after that, we'll go into our main topic, which is uh, the most influential albums that we've listened to in our life. So we're going to kick things off by going around the table and introducing ourselves. Uh, and as you introduce who you are, uh, help us get to know you a little bit better. And in the spirit of the holiday, what's your favorite Halloween song? I'm Lucas Wright, a designer in the Bay Area, and I will take the obvious Halloween song, Thriller, by Michael Jackson, obviously. It's a classic. It is. I'm Sandra Omstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee, and mine is the version of I Put a Spell on You from Hocus Pocus. Oh. And my favorite Halloween song, I'm Lawson Soward, an art director from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, my favorite Halloween song is... Werewolf Bar Mitzvah by Tracy Jordan, <laughs> as featured in 30 Rock. <laughs> With an in-tag cameo from Calvish Gambino. So. Okay, okay, I have a new favorite. <laughs> yep, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, well, uh, let's talk a little bit about what we're feeling this week. Lucas, what are you feeling this week, bud? This week I'm feeling a... A short, so it's something that you can actually go online and watch right now. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes, but it's called Borrowed Time. This is a movie, well, a short. This is a short film um, made by a couple animators from Pixar. They got together and decided to come up with a short film, and it's very close to the style of Pixar, um, just themed a little differently. It has a lot of the family tones, a lot of the animations the same. Um, the emotional grab is very similar to a lot of Pixar stuff, um, but it's very adult themed, not in like a, I don't know, like a gross way, but just like it, it has a lot of adult themes that are very different from something that you'd put in a Pixar movie. Um, you guys saw this, correct? I did. Yeah, I was very moved by it. Yeah, it. I was really surprised. I'll, when I first saw it, I thought it was a Pixar short and was really, really surprised by the the, the content of it. Um, and I think something that's really neat about this is recently we've seen animated movies for adults in the, the form of a Sausage Party and movies like that where it's just like, hey, we can do adult humor and adult... Uh, you know, language in an animated film and it'll still be funny, which I don't necessarily think is that inventive at all. But I think doing something like this where you can tell a story for adults that uh, like this, this would probably be rated PG-13. Um, 
if it went through the rating system. Um, and I just think that's that's a refreshing way to see someone use animation for something like this. Yeah, and in between from like, like you don't have to go to Family Guy to be a cartoon for adults. Right, right, right. Because I feel like the only time we do that is for comedy situations and stuff like that. That's what we've seen. Um, whereas using it just for, just to be able to talk about, you know, more emotional things and more, I guess, deep uh, deep conversations in film at this level, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I completely loved it. I am so grateful for you um, coming across this because I've I've never seen anything like this in a short film, especially in animation, like you were saying. And I, uh, yeah, you don't have to live in Chicago. You don't have to buy a ticket. You don't have to do anything. You can just go check this out in the show notes and... Um, I second Lucas's recommendation wholeheartedly. Watch it. It's good. All right, Sandra, lay it on us. What are you feeling this week? This week I'm feeling um, a an EP from an artist that I had previously not been familiar with. Her name is Lizzo, and the EP is called Coconut Oil. I The first time I ever heard anything from Lizzo was she had a single that was featured in the premiere episode of Broad City for this past season. So if y'all saw Broad City and you saw that great opening segment they had with the two bathrooms, are y'all familiar with this? Oh, yep. yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the song that was playing during that segment was a song that she did called Let Him Say, which is a really great song. And I remembered that song, but I wasn't really familiar with her as an artist. And then this week, um, friend of the podcast, Ben Weaver, texted me this music video for a song on this EP called Phone. And he just said, I know you'll love this. And he's completely right. <laughs> this song, I, first I want to say, the whole EP I think is really great and interesting and fresh. Um, there are several songs in it that I like. The song that I'm going to play for you, Phone, I don't think it's the best song on the EP. I think songs like Good As Hell and Worship are really, really impressive songs. But this song is just so damn fun and catchy. Um, so let's listen to a, a little splice of it. Uh, where the hell my phone? Where the hell my phone? Where the hell my, where the hell my phone? Huh? How I'm supposed to get home? Uh, where the hell my phone? Where the hell my phone? Where the hell my, where the hell my phone? Huh? How I'm supposed to get home? Okay, 2.15 and the lights come on. Where my phone? Looking around like where my phone? Looking where my homies went? Where the hell my homies went? Where the hell my homies went? How I'm supposed to get home? How I'm supposed to get home? Walk, walking home with my feet on sore. Walking home with my feet on sore. What the hell these Louboutins for? What the hell these Louboutins for? Walking home in this damn near foe. Walking home in this damn near foe. What the hell these Louboutins for? What the hell these Louboutins for? Yeah, I was getting it. Looking and real cute. So this song is such. So fun to just sing to yourself when you're looking for your phone. Um, <laughs> that's like my number one reason that I'm excited about having it in my life. But it's also just I love listening to it over and over again. Um, I love the beat to it. It gets really fun as like the song goes on. I'm mostly just really excited to explore all the past work of this artist. I think she's really exciting. Um, she's a rapper and singer based out of Minneapolis, and she's been described as like an indie Missy Elliott. Um, and I'm, oh. yeah, like I said, I am excited to have, she has a lot of 
songs before this EP that came out, and I'm excited to go throughout all her past work and really dive in deep. I listened to the EP, and I gotta say, it's pretty catchy. Yeah. A lot of that stuff is really good. Um, yeah, like you're saying, Worship, I think, is something that I really, really, really loved. It was a really, really well oh, done Worship song. Worship is a great song, and I, I almost played it, but phone was just really too fun <laughs> for me to resist. It, yeah, I'd say overall it is a fun EP. So it is it is exciting <laughs> to to find something that because I feel like a lot of the music that that I normally listen to is I don't know we'll, we'll listen to the kind of music that I sure. listen to we'll, later. Yeah, but, we'll, we'll go into that. <laughs> but it's 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 not often I end up listening to something that's just plain fun. Yeah, yeah, I could see the Broad City montage as that was happening. Just mm-hmm. like, sure. <laughs> I feel like she's that exact demographic, and that's great. Yeah. There's such a place for music in that in life. Yeah. So, so that EP is called um, Coconut Oil. Cool. Listen to it. Check it out on Spotify. Or Apple Music. <laughs> <laughs> or Apple Music. Uh, title, just don't, don't use title. As long as you're not using title, it's fine. Yeah, don't use title. Okay, so what I'm feeling this week is a short film by Spike Jones uh, that just came out recently. Um, for a new perfume, actually, called Kinzo Paris. It's going to be featured in at H&M. Um, and this is like, a, it's a film starring uh, Margaret Qualley. Qualley? I don't know how to pronounce it, but I've seen her in... Qualley. Qualley, yeah. We saw her in Nice Guys. Um, yep. She was Amelia. And then, uh, I don't know if either of you guys have watched Leftovers uh, on HBO, but she has a mm-hmm. recurring rule on that. Um, but this commercial was completely hypnotic uh it's i mean obviously it's more of a short film than a commercial so i keep saying it that way it's uh ticks in close to the four minute mark it's not like a 30 second spot um but it has music that uh i just want to be a soundtrack to my life in general um i didn't realize the song was specifically written for this short film but it's such an incredible compliment uh it's really really vibrant the music's by sam spiegel and ape drums featuring assassin mutant so just imagine <laughs> what kind of music the people with those stage names would make. Um, it's just incredible choreography uh, with perfect touches of magical realism and like cutthroat empowerment. I want to play a little bit of sound from this commercial to give you kind of a taste of the vibe. Now, but I highly recommend watching. It's another one, like we're saying, it's totally free. You should just go check it out. But she's wearing this amazing green dress, running around this beautiful hotel, and it's just like, I mean, as it runs through, there's like choreographed lethal neck snaps and like laser beams shooting out of fingers and like possessed funk dancing. Like it's just so cool and crazy. It truly is insane. Lost it. <laughs> yeah. Who did you say directed this? Spike Jones. Spike Jones. You know. That kind of surprises me. I, because, I don't know, this just didn't feel very much like him to me. I I'd loved all the magical realism in this little short. Um, the choreography, though, I will say, 
for me, it was just like someone watched a few too many Sia music videos and was just like, <laughs> what if we did that for our perfume ad? <laughs> um, so like the choreography didn't do much for me, but there were so many like little things that did excite me. And I wish there had been more of those. For me, the choreography wasn't the like it to me i didn't watch it saying oh this is a well choreographed video this is it looked to me more like this is her making this up on the spot which i'm kind of upset that it was choreographed i would have loved it if it was just her doing whatever she wanted just like making up dances uh because that's what it looks like and to me it was more just the way she was portrayed in this in this i'm I'm gonna call it a commercial because that's what it is it's a perfume perfume commercial that's but there are lots of if you're not if you're not in the world of perfume commercials, this is, a, <laughs> <laughs> this is a thing that happens where you get like a three, four or five minute vi- like short film, usually done by a, you know, you know, pronounced director um, starring a star, whatever. Um, and there's 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 tons of them. Uh, I would I would actually encourage you to watch other ones and compare it to this one because of how different it is. All the all the other ones are, are you know, calm, serene. You know what I can perfume commercial oh yeah yeah yeah. it's yeah it's 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 ridiculous and it's all about making i don't know i don't know may not necessarily like making you want to buy the perfume but making the like an alluring atmosphere right and the 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 woman always has to be i don't know i'm a big Uh, fan of kira knightley perfume commercials don't act like i'm a novice No, yeah. okay. well, there you go. So, you know, the, the one where she's on the motorcycle and there's oh. the photographer and, you know, those types yeah. of things. Into that's, it. that's exactly. So that's not what this is at all. This this I loved. This was <laughs> I did not know this was a perfume commercial until the very end when it tells me it is. And usually you can spot a perfume commercial like a mile away. For so. me, it reads. I mean, it is a perfume commercial, but for me, it reads much more like a music <laughs> video, like yes. it, versus yes. a short film. Yeah. To me, it's just like a music video. Yeah. yeah. A, it definitely feels like a music at the video. End. Like, right. Exactly. Exactly. But she gets to be so natural in this. She gets to just kind of do whatever she wants. She gets to just kind of bounce around and shoot laser guns out of her fingers and just kind of hang out. She feels so more like at home in this commercial than everyone else does in any other perfume commercial that I see. Sure. Yeah. I'm also going to be... Sorry, I'm going to be a little bit bitchy here and say that she doesn't have very good makeup on. So that also oh kind gosh. of like annoyed me throughout the whole thing. I was like, oh, her makeup is not good. She cries at the beginning of this of this film. Her makeup's going to be terrible. No, before she cried. Before she before cried, she cried she her makeup was bad. Oh, gosh. She did it herself, probably. She didn't have a makeup <laughs> oh, artist. God. It's not a makeup <laughs> commercial. It's about perfume. Exactly. She smelled perfect the whole time, Sandra. <laughs> I want to push back on the knocks against the uh, choreography because, I mean, I know nothing about dance or choreography or anything, but to me it just felt like dance in the purest sense. Like, music is just moving through her, like, shaking through every one of her bones and her tendons, and it was just like she was had didn't have steps worked out. She was just like... Right, it felt real. Yeah. Right, yeah, it felt (laughs) like it was coming from her. It wasn't a choreographed movement. It was all... Yeah, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that yeah. from her. Um, it di- you're right. It didn't feel choreographed. It didn't feel like it was something that was like kind of pre-canned, waiting for her to kind of step into and do. It felt like it was actually coming from the actress herself. Yeah, I loved how even though it wasn't, <laughs> even though it was all a lie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. <laughs> so long story short, by H and M perfume. Yeah, right? long story short, right? by H and M perfume. Thank you for indulging me. I think if you watch it, you'll really enjoy it, whether or not you ever step foot into H&M. 
Now we're an H&M commercial. Yeah. <laughs> Spotify, Bye. Apple Music. It's <laughs> a branded episode of Feeling It. Yeah. If you don't know, we are now sponsored by everything. <laughs> uh, if only. So, yeah, let's move into news. Uh, the big news this past week in tech was that the uh, Nintendo announced that their mysterious Nintendo DX console had a name and had hardware. The uh, name it was given was the Nintendo Switch, and the hardware was... Uh, trademark for Nintendo, very unique, very interesting, not something that you see very often. Um, and they're really trying to make their mark with that. So we wanted to talk about it for a minute because I watched this announcement video so many times that day because it was so cool. Did you guys watch this? I didn't watch the announcement. I watched the uh, like the commercial they released for it. Or oh, whatever. no, yeah, that's the announcement video. Oh, that's the announcement? That's yeah, what they, they call it? They I, didn't have, like, I'm picturing keynote. like a keynote, yeah, like there was someone no keynote. announcing. Okay, got it, yes. So, yes, <laughs> no, I watched that. <laughs> I have, I did not, and I truly know almost nothing about this piece of hardware. So this whole conversation y'all are going to have is going to be very educational for me. So, All right, well, Sandra, let me ask you this question. Sure. Uh, have you ever used a Nintendo product? Not since I was probably like 11 or 12. There you go. That tells you all you need to know about Nintendo. That's it right there. <laughs> wow, that's brutal. Nobody's used it since they were 11 or 12. Done. <laughs> let me ask you another question, Sandra. Sure, sure. If you were to guess what crazy new feature this hardware had to try to get people to buy it, what would you guess? I mean, I've, I have seen pictures of it. So it like comes apart into pieces. That's exciting. Just like you want all of your hardware to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does. So the way that this works is it's basically a screen that's kind of like an iPad iPad mini size. Um, And whenever you, you can put uh, sides of a controller onto either side of that screen and take it with you like a huge Game Boy. Or you can dock that into like a console that's hooked up to your TV and use a controller and play stuff on your TV. Or you can use the screen and the TV for all, like, one big thing. Or you could take each side of the controller and use each of those as a mini controller and, like, have two people play on your little mini iPad when you're out and about. So it's, like, a lot of uses kind of turning into a Swiss Army knife of a console, but... I don't know. They're really trying to like push into competitive gaming with it because it's a lot more portable and it's easier for teams to like group up on it from the way they pitched it. But I don't know that this is going to make me get a Nintendo console. Okay, so let me let me let me say this. Nintendo has always excelled at group games. So early on, you know, with like GoldenEye. Um, Super Smash Brothers, Mario Party, uh, Mario Party, Mario Kart, um, group games were their thing. You didn't really play. I'm okay. People played group games elsewhere, but it wasn't until like Xbox Live and stuff like that came out that Nintendo lost kind of the group game aspect of it. I think this is kind of their reach for that market again and i don't think it's going to work this is kind of a jack of all trades master of none type situation that they've Mm -hmm. got going on here i think they would have this is my pitch to nintendo if you're if you work in nintendo if you own nintendo if this is a if you're a stockholder (laughs) i need you to pitch this uh have all the biggest give me all the credit listening in so exactly exactly so here's what needs to happen you need to not make hardware hardware the hardware has lost. If you want to be something that's portable, like this is trying to be, you, 
it's lost, you've lost to the cell phone market. Cell phones are the new portable gaming systems. What Nintendo should have done is ditched that side of their, their, uh, their company and put all of their efforts into making mobile games. Cause I, I promise you if Mario Kart were an iOS game and it was 10 bucks, everyone would still buy it. People are against buying apps, but if Mario Kart were 10 bucks, everyone would buy it. Yep. That's, that is, I think the future of Nintendo is making their gaming platform the thing you already have in your pocket. Yeah, I think Nintendo is probably scared of becoming Sony, or not Sony, uh, Sega, uh, because that's what happened with Sega. Sega's strong suit was their software, and then they started just exclusively doing software, Mm -hmm. and after a while, people kind of stopped caring. Mario is such a, a prolific IP that I think he would survive, but... I understand the hesitancy to do that because I'm with you, Lucas. I feel like that is what consumers want. Like that's what I want as a consumer. Put that mm-hmm. on my iPhone. Um, you know, if I have a PlayStation, let me download a Mario game on my on the PlayStation Marketplace. Like, there's tons of stuff to do. I feel like I know more people who play uh, Nintendo games on emulators than I do on actual consoles. So right, I they're just no one is wanting new Nintendo hardware, um, and I think this may be the final nail in their coffin which i mean i give them kudos for trying to innovate um Mm -hmm. i was trying to think of the word innovative before and i couldn't think of it but that is definitely what this is Mm -hmm. and uh, (laughs) i'm just like i tip my hat to that but i just i I think you're right i think the market's going a different way yep i have a question for y'all just that i so that i can know if this is something i want to pay attention to in the future is there any benefits of getting this kind of device if you don't play video games no okay no this is and that's that's i think one of the sad things about it is that i mean with xbox and playstation and other that and all that it's kind of getting you set up to have that be your console where you can watch netflix on it and um you know i don't know chats go on the internet whatever else you do on a tv (laughs) that's kind of what this is for most I guess that that's what Xbox and PlayStation is for most people. Right. Um, but because this wants to be a, a console and a portable game and a you know everything like that, I feel like it's not as equipped to do other things if you're not into games. This is not something that you would buy. Yeah, it's like Nintendo got half the memo. They're like, okay, yeah. so we're really good at our games, so we should just focus on games and stop trying to make <laughs> things that also play Blu-rays and Netflix. Yeah. So we'll just do consoles that just do games. Like, no, you're almost there. Get rid of the console, just do games. There, yeah. there was an article that was going around recently about how, um, like, a, a really great valuable piece of hardware still is the PS3 because you get a DVD player, a Blu-ray player, plus a gaming yeah. system, plus like all your major streaming services all in one device. And they're like right. about a hundred bucks or so now. Yeah. You, you be the best at whatever market you're going for. So if you're going to be the, the, the console that hooks up to your TV, you make sure you have everything that person's going to need. That way they never have to use anything else. Yeah. And they, Yeah. PlayStation did a fantastic job of that. So. Yeah. All right. So we're all huge Nintendo fans. <laughs> going to be lining up opening day. Um, yeah. Honestly, though, if anybody out there listening is really excited about the Switch, I would love to hear an argument as to why this is a good idea. I would, too. Because I love Nintendo. Big Nintendo fan. But I'm just really sad to see this happen. <laughs> yeah. It's like seeing a friend that you care about a lot, making a really bad decision. 
Uh, I, but yes, please do let us know if that's something that you think is great for reasons that we have not considered. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, if Lucas and Lawson are leading me astray and like they don't want me to get a Nintendo <laughs> Switch for political reasons, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's uh, it. We are we have a vested interest in both Sony and Microsoft stock, and this is we have to disclose that at this point. Before moving on to our main topic for the evening, uh, musical albums that have influenced us the most. CD wallets, go through our iTunes, go through our Spotify, and try to think through what albums uh, have been the most influential in our life. And there's obviously going to be runners-up, and uh, the influence that an album has on you can change over time, but we at least went for the difficult task of trying to identify the single most influential album. So we wanted to talk through what those albums are in our life and uh, and why. Uh, So, Sandra... Do you want to start us off with that? What was your album that you picked? Sure. Well, first I wanted to start off by saying that the phrase most influential album was really like, I had to do a lot of thinking about it because I, there are so many albums that I love deeply or that like I have a lot of feelings about, but trying to decide an album that has influenced me was a little bit trickier, I think. Um, you know, my mind immediately went to things I listened to in high school. Uh, and if I were to give my answer back when I was 18, it would have been, like, um, the album Mm-hmm by Reliant K. Um, oh, yeah. And, that was a runner-up. Yeah, and so, like, that, that was, like, an incredibly influential album for me. But I didn't want to use that as my pick today because I feel like such a different person today than I am when I was 18, (laughs) like very obviously. And, you know, I've grown much in those like past, I guess, 10 years now. Um, And so while that album influenced me in a big way when I was that age, I only look at it now with a lot of nostalgia. I don't feel like it does anything to me today in any influential way. Um, So I started looking at albums that I've listened to more recently that have like really made a major impact on me. And um, there were three that all came out in 2014 that I had a hard time choosing between. Two of them were Strange Desire by Bleachers and 1989 by Taylor Swift. Both of those albums I thought were incredible and meant a lot to me when they came out. But the album that I'm going to go with is something that's very off-brand for me. Um... I tend to listen to a lot of pop music. That is my mainline genre. I like music I can dance to. I like music that has a fast beat. Um, But this one album really kind of hit me out of the blue and really knocked me off my socks. It's the self-titled album Hozier from Hozier. I'm not typically a blues fan. That is... uh, 
it's never been a genre that's called to me. But when I first heard this album, I was blown away by how good it was and how important I thought it was for me and how meaningful it was. Um, I One of the things I really love about Hozier and his songs is that they feel more like stories about characters than they do feel like this one guy singing about himself. Um, his songs feel both homey and grand at the same time. Uh, there, it's His is the album that I will pretty much only listen to when I'm home alone. And I don't do anything else but sit and listen to that album and like really soak it in. When I'm listening to it, I just feel transported in a way that I usually only feel, feel when I watch movies. And so that is like what makes this album really stand out for me because most albums I listen to and I enjoy the music so much. And this one really transports me into like a very specific world that he's creating with these stories and this, and this music. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I also really just like Hozier as an artist so much. I think his songwriting and his performance is very manly, but like never macho. And certain songs are very sweet, but never saccharine. He uh, is very young, but just feels so like confident and secure in his self and his body and his voice. Um, and I, but the main thing that I love about his music is the themes that are recurring throughout this album. There was an interview that he did, and he basically admitted that his album is just about sex, death, and God. And um, I, I really adore this. Light because, themes. Right. So I really adore this because my favorite way to talk about God is to talk about sex. And I love art that isn't, like, afraid to dirty up conversations about the divine. Uh, this is a recurring theme throughout the whole album, but it's most obvious in, like, his big popular single, Take Me to Church. Um I'm not going to play Take Me to Church because we've all heard Take Me to Church. It's been, everyone knows that song. It was the first thing I ever heard of his that really like caught my eye. Um, but I love it because it's it's both a critique of like modern faith institutions, but and at the same time, it's like this ode to extremely powerful sex. And I'm going to enjoy any piece of art that like takes on both of those things at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are some other like songs in this album that are fun and sexy. Most of this album is very like thoughtful and soulful, but every now and then there's this glimmer of like sexy and sweet. And one of those songs is a favorite of mine called Someone New. Some like to imagine the dark
It's one of the songs on his album that really like makes me want to get up and dance, which is my favorite thing to do when it comes to music. So <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate when I get to hear that one. And that was kind of the second song that really caught my eye when I first heard about Hozier and got me really excited about listening to this album in full. Um, but then the thing that really like made this album an influential album on me, one that I've listened to over and over again, like night after night, just by itself, um, are his references to God and death that are weaved in throughout so many of these songs. Um, one of my favorite songs is called In a Week. It's this beautiful, sad, romantic song. And I got to see Hozier perform it here in Nashville. And he told this story about how in um, Ireland, there's this park in a town that he lives in. And I don't remember the specific like record, but it's, I think one of the, it's the park where like the most dead bodies are found in the whole country. And okay. yeah. And so it's just like dead bodies are always found in this park, whether people are being killed in that park or dead bodies are being dumped off in that park. Um, it's just like one of the things that's known about it. And that inspired him to write this song about two dead bodies just kind of like rotting away in a beautiful park. And it's such a morbid visual that can, that created just like this beautiful duet that he does with um, Karen Cowley. Four years or four hours, thrown here or found, to freeze or to thaw. tells just a story of these characters um i love imagining who these people are and how they got to be where they are and um what what their love story was like and why they feel the way they feel um another song that is about death and about love kind of surpassing death is a song he has called work song and if you grew up in a church or you were surrounded by kind of churchy people, um, you've probably seen what I call church hands, where like people like, raise up their hands when they feel like really touched by God in the middle of like usually a worship song. I had I grew up in a very conservative church, and so no one was ever doing church hands <laughs> where I grew up. But no Holy Ghost hugs. Yeah, no, none of those. <laughs> um, so. That phenomenon is very uh, uncomfortable to me. Like I've never been the kind of person that would use church hands. But work song is the kind of song that gives me church hands. I like when I'm just listening to it by myself. I'm like, oh yes, I'm feeling this song. If the Lord don't forgive me, I'd still have my baby, and my babe would have me. When I was kissing on my baby. And she put her love down soft and sweet In the lonely light I was free Heaven and hell were words to me Where my time 
about this album is that any album that can talk about death this much and not make me feel depressed at all, I think is doing something really special. It it really makes it really I love people who can make death feel like an essential part of the life experience and not this dreaded event. And it and death is obviously awful for so many reasons, but it also is natural and part of a grander story. And I think Hozier really does a great job about weaving in all the things of that grander story that like make life special. I have to say, I may be peeling back the veil a little bit, but before this started recording, Sandra expressed not thinking that she had much to say about music. <laughs> and I have to starkly disagree. That was beautiful analysis. And that brought so much more depth to that album than I've uh, experienced personally before. Cause I love this album too. I, uh, I love Hozier. I think he's great and um, haven't spent as much time with it uh, as much of that like one-on-one by yourself uh, in the dark listening to it and really soaking it in time and yeah I'm like each of those clips I heard in a whole new way based on your descriptions. Oh yeah that's fantastic. Yeah, I I was really excited to get a chance to see him live. I guess also another thing that surprised me about this album is that I don't hear anyone talking about it ever. Um, I heard a lot of people talk about Take Me to Church when it came out. But other than that, I don't hear a lot of discussions about Hozier. And that blows my mind because I think he's so incredible. Um, so, yeah, it was it was fun to go see him live and see like other people that felt about him the way I did and then... Um, and it was also fun to, yeah, express to y'all all the reasons why it means a lot to me. That's awesome. I want to p- piggyback on some of those things because, like, I just completely agree that whenever the people are talking about um, themes of messy religion and death and all of the, I don't, I won't get into it too much because it's in my portion. But I just want to say, like, the reasons that this album is so meaningful to you is a lot of the same reason that my albums are meaningful to me. So oh, I'm that's glad really to hear awesome. That. Yeah. Um, Lucas. Yeah. Well, I know I said mine was, uh, not similar to yours at all, Sandra, but, um, if you're going to talk about death and loss and that kind of stuff, (laughs) you're, you're playing right into the emo field here, which is where we're about to go for the next 30 minutes or so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so my pick is the 2005 album plans by death cab for cutie. Um, this is an album With that death in the actual name of the band. Yeah. yeah, name of the band. There you go. Sandra, in addition, my runner ups, I also had mm-hmm from Reliant K on there. That was definitely one that um was su- super influential, uh, at least for, for for me, like lyric writing and stuff like absolutely. that as well. Uh just the wordplay and stuff that they use was something that I was like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta try that. Um and just that album as a whole was it, it wasn't a concept album, but it to me, that was the first one that, that I listened to that felt like one mm-hmm. um, and really got me into the idea of concept albums and listening to those all the way through and kind of what that feels like. You guys um, the other the, one that was... You know the sticker that goes on the spine of CDs that like labeled it so you could see it from the top of a bin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I had Reliant K, mm-hmm, the sticker from that CD on the dashboard of my truck for like... All of high school and Funny. most of college. And then whenever my brother inherited that truck, I think it was still on there. 
Nice. My first kiss nice. happened while that album was playing in my car. Oh gosh, yeah. really? <laughs> we all owe so much to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yep. got to. They came to Nashville during their ten year anniversary of that album and performed the album in its entirety just from the first track to the last track and it i never got to see them perform live when i was a high schooler and so to see them as a 20 something it was really really fun (laughs) i would i would definitely go see them if they came through yeah uh actually i don't know they'd have to be doing something like that where they played a a full album that i right that i have we're only playing new stuff (laughs) yeah The the other album that I that I was in close contention with was um, a Mark Commission of Brand Scar by Dashboard Confessionals. Who screamed them infidelities? Seriously, yeah. As a as a guy who can who can hit high octaves, man, I love singing these songs. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, yeah, that was that was another one. Didn't 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 make the cut, but uh, that that's that's one that uh that hit deep. That song so. was that album was amazing. Like I listened to that album to get over a breakup. Unfortunately, when I got over the breakup, I got over the album. But <laughs> I would not have gotten through it without it. Oh, jeez. Oh, um, I got I was introduced to Death Cab for Cutie um, through their previous album, Translanticism, probably a couple months before this uh, album came out, and absolutely fell in love with their style and their sound and. When this album came out, this was one of those albums that I got on CD, immediately put in the CD player, played all the way through, and just flipped through the booklet and read all the lyrics and read who played what on each album or on each song and looked at all the artwork. And that is something that I really miss doing with albums now. Yeah. Um, I miss the the physical aspect of, of having the, the artwork. We're obviously have access to so many more albums than we used to, but I loved the, the time of getting to kind of connect with the band in that way. Um, and that's definitely something that I really, really put into the music that I wrote, uh, in high school and college, um, was a lot of the, not only themes from the, from themes from this death cap for cutie album, um, but also just some of the, the, the lyrical, the way he talks about, uh, stuff like death and um, religion and um, the way he talks about breakups is way different than the way uh, I thought about breakups as a, as a high schooler, obviously. But <laughs> um, it, it kind of it kind of definitely led my the path of how I learned how to play the guitar differently and um, how I thought about songwriting, which I think was really cool. I think one of the first songs that um, really introduced me to a, a new style of, of guitar playing that I, than I was used to um, was the song Soul Meets Body.
Yeah, so as cheesy as uh, any of the lyrics are, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely feel like it. Learning, just learning how to play all of these songs on guitar. This is probably the first full album that I learned how to play on guitar. Um, learning how to play all of this, I feel like, really influenced how I how I write songs and how I um, how I think about <laughs> think about writing music, especially with multiple instruments involved. Um, yeah. One of one of the one of the things that they they do on this album is it's not I'm. Coming from probably before this, I, I listened to a lot of you know three piece bands, four piece bands that played the exact same instruments on every song, um, and a lot of what Death Cab for Cutie does is just kind of mix in different things here and the, there, which give their albums a little bit more, I think, of a flow, a little bit more uh, a breathability um, throughout the album. So it's not the exact same <laughs> guitar, guitar, bass, drums keys um on every single song uh and that that definitely comes out with the song i will follow you into the dark which was recorded just uh just ben gibbard and his acoustic guitar all worn down the time for sleep is now but it's nothing to cry about because we'll hold each other soon in the blackest of rooms If heaven and hell decide that they both are satisfied And illuminate the nose on their vacancy signs If there's no one beside you when your soul embarks Then I'll follow you So as a depressing high schooler, that's exactly what I was looking for right there. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right. Yeah. I didn't listen to um, Death Cab for Cutie, but I definitely remember that song. That song. Yes, that song everyone everyone knew that song. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um Lawson, you listen to Death Cab for Cutie, correct? Oh, constantly. <laughs> yeah. I listened to this um, song to this album every night before I fell asleep. Like I, I fell asleep <laughs> to plans. Guys, it's true. This was like this was it. This was the album. This was so good. <laughs> it was so amazing. I mean, yeah. Marching Bands of Manhattan is just like, it cues you up for this journey, and it sounds like a march because you're marching into the rest of the album, and it does all of these, uh, just like like you said, there's all of these variants of how much instrumentation is going on, how much is the melody going to take an effect, how much producing is there going to be. And like there's imagery in this, album that like you said like it's you know reminds me of high school and uh kind of can feel cheesy at this point but i don't know like the song brothers on a hotel bed that that song elicits such strong imagery and paints such a perfect picture of a relationship um that's cooling off in a way that is just so concise and gorgeous and it's kind of like what you were saying with uh, Hozier, Sandra. It's, I mean, this one is more depressing, but I never left this album thinking that like death or sadness or any of those things were negative, dark things. Like it kind of made them mm-hmm. all sound beautiful, and that was something that was brand new to me. I remember the line, um, uh, "Love is watching someone die," followed by yep. a repetition of who's going to watch you die over and over and over uh, until the song concludes. And whenever you're 16, 
uh, not I shouldn't say you because this isn't everybody, but when I was 16, telling girls that I love them, thinking I knew what I was talking about, like <laughs> it's a good lesson to hear. It's a good um, word to hear that like you don't know what it is to actually say that your life and death is going to be with one person to say that you love them through all this stuff. And, uh, so yeah, some of it has stayed in high school, but some of the stuff has stuck with me. It's just mm-hmm. death cab's great, man. Yeah. You know, Lucas, I, like I said, I didn't listen to death cab for cutie when I was in high school. Um, but I did listen to a lot of your music, Lucas, when I was in college. <laughs> and oh, no. So, <laughs> it was so fun to listen to this album today and be like, oh, I see where he got. Like, I see this is like his major influence as an artist. And like to hear yep. Lucas in this album was fun. Yeah. Yep. This is me. Yeah. This is definitely me. <laughs> at, least, at least the college <laughs> version of Lucas that I knew, you know, back then. Yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, um, my album, just to stay with the emo theme, uh, is Deja Intendu by Brand New. Um, and if you're wondering how cynical emo that is, Deja Intendu in French is already heard. <laughs> so oh it's uh, cynical and it's very title cynical and pretentious and it's very title. Like, <laughs> we're going to do this in French, but we're going to be like, you've already heard all this stuff. Um, I had some real runners up. Uh, if you see me tweeting over the past couple days, I've talked about how much I love Jimmy World just dropped a new album. And the first record I ever bought was Bleed American by Jimmy World, which was huge in my life. Um, they had another album uh, shortly after that called Futures that I just wore out. Um, I and Love and You by the Avett Brothers uh, changed mm. the way I thought about the way that song could be written and how... Uh, they could just go straight for it, like be plain spoken and really, really hit home. College Dropout by Kanye West was my first bit hip-hop album that I got into. Um, and then Brand New also had the album um, after Dejan Tindu. It was called The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me, which if we're talking about yep. messy religious <laughs> themes, uh, hits the nail <laughs> right on the head. Um, and that album is... Uh, in, when I was in high school, that was like what I considered to be a perfect album, was The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me. Um, but whenever I th- try to think about what uh, album was most influential uh, for my life, Dejan Tindu definitely uh, was there for better or worse. Um, I like what you were saying, Lucas, about like missing the physicality of albums. Um, mm-hmm. Like now that there's you know Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that, like so many artists now we get to see so much of them um but like album art was kind of like a little bit more mysterious and it made uh you got to see like one photo maybe two of the artist so it kind of made the artist blur in more with the art because like the only place that you saw them really was either like at a concert or on this photo right next to their lyrics and like um Dejan Tindu has this really uh like at the time I thought it was really cool this like photo of uh, an astronaut above like green grass and birds flying by and it just like the way it was really kind of um just a little off but still being really familiar and I loved the inside of that uh art and just kind of turning it over I, I distinctly remember looking at it over and over because it was always in my truck whenever I was uh, driving around in high school um but yeah I think one of the main reasons that this album was so influential in my life uh 
was because it did so much musically uh, that it was doing for me for the first time. Like, it was my first real exposure to it. Um, so one of the first songs that I heard, because I just kind of listened to, uh, you know, four-part bands, everyone's playing the instrument every time, like mm-hmm. you're kind of saying. Um, yeah. One of the first songs that really turned that on my on its head uh, in this album for me was uh, called Glory Fades. just bass and sing speaking and like so much of current hip-hop has a lot in common with that kind of like anchored funk-filled passion that's all over this track and of course that's an inverse relationship like this was taking cues from hip-hop and stuff like it's not like brand new is an influence on what hip-hop is now but I had not been exposed to hip-hop very much in a way that or into that kind of music in a way that I was able to relate to yet. And hearing that song, which also um, really ramps up in its chorus and gets really loud and um, talks about uh, sexual abuse uh, and like sexually aggressive relationships. And, you know, talks about that where the like a woman is being an aggressor to a man was like something that I really related to and didn't hear very much in music. and there were just a lot of, you know, there was other tracks like um, this one called Guernica, which was the kind of, I don't know, hard rock, but it had like some knowledge of world history <laughs> um, to have a title <laughs> like that and started off with like such cool delay effects. battle in Spain for this uh, metaphor for finding out that his the lead singer's grandfather had cancer um, was just it was a movement towards um, talking about really a real pain and relating it to this kind of universal real pain of seeing something that you care and that you love about um, slowly or suddenly be destroyed um, and then there's also tracks like, I mean, I'm just playing the first of these songs. There's so many different things that are going on musical. There's a track called Jaws Theme Swimming that's just like really jazzy and slanky. In a car outside, we stuck the idle kind. If you leave and just let me know. Tobacco and peppermint, dust in her fingerprint, filming her eyes from the 
last song I'll play a little clip from was a song called Play Crack the Sky. And that one is more of like one per, you know, the whole, the old adage for uh, like folk or Americana music, it's just three chords in the truth. It's not talking <laughs> about, there's not complex musicality, there's not anything um, big production going on. All it is is someone speaking what's in their heart and uh, putting it to music. Send out the SOS call It was a quarter past four in the morning When the storm broke our second anchor line Four months at sea For months of calm seas To be pounded In the shallows off the tip of Montauk Point So for all of you know, these lyrics feel really high school for me, obviously, um, and his voice is very uh, of that time and of that genre, but the fact of it was is all this music hit me right where I was. I was this, you know, suburban white kid with some angst and religious confusion, and so the lyrics, even though now they feel really heavy-handed, at the time had you know, got to me in this place of heaviest resonance. Um, so it, it got to me with all of these new musical styles um, and did it with lyrics that I completely felt. And I think that was really able to put these different uh, little touches uh, and flares of different musical styles that they had picked up from all these various sources into me and at deeper... Uh, into my taste than it would have if it had been um, stuff that I hadn't related to as much. And as I've grown older and my world experience and, um, you know, the people that I know have, all that is, my life has broadened um, the the voices and uh, the artists that are making this kind of music and my favorite musicians have, have grown too. But I think I owe a ton of my early music taste and all of the seeds um, of those things being planted to the album Dejan Tindu by Brand New. So, did you listen to this album at all, uh, Sandra Lucas? Every day, really? Uh, yeah, no. This was this was definitely one of my favorite albums. Uh, I heard on their album before this. Um, uh, what was the song? Jude Law and the Semester Abroad was the, was my introduction to them. Yeah. Um, and then when this was the first full album that I, I think I I think I got parts of this album on like mixtapes from other people. Of course. And ended up like compiling it all together as a final album. Oh, how great! <laughs> um, I know, I know. And I would like I was missing like certain songs from, and I'd be like, Hey, does anybody have these songs? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was great. I think my two favorite songs on on this album are two songs that you didn't talk about, but the quiet things that no one ever knows. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's 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 one of the singles off of this album that is just fantastic. Um, and then also the boy who blocks his own shot. Um, just that's talking a great about song. just self deprecation and <laughs> um, just how how terrible it is to uh, to be the the master of your own ruin. But <laughs> it that <laughs> this album. Um, 
is classic, classic punk rock, which was actually let me back up. It's not classic punk rock, but it's the class. It's like the, classically what I listen to as punk rock emo, like alternative music. Like these were the concerts that I would go to, um, and I, I got I, I listened to this whole album today, and man, this uh this brings back some good stuff. Love yeah, <laughs> yeah, the pop punk like quiet things that no one ever knows. I love that song too. Um, yeah, but that was I that was kind of like an influence that already exist existed and mm-hmm. i was amazed that because you're right it all is pop punk it all totally fits in that scene but yep. the fact that it was able to like sneak in these little other genre things along the way i was just like so mm-hmm. cool yep great album great album you know yeah. looking back on like what were all my favorite albums growing up was such a funny thing for me because i i don't think i really got into like listening and understanding music until I was an adult because in Mm -hmm. high school I listened to a lot of soundtracks to movies like the walk to remember soundtrack the princess diary soundtrack the shrek soundtrack like all these movies that just like had a collection of songs that were really fun (laughs) for me um and never just like a singular album with an artist that sounds very sandra i said the first (laughs) album that i got was uh, Bleed American by Jimmy Eat World. The first CD that I bought was the Armageddon soundtrack. Oh, sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, man. Interesting. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for sharing. I feel like I we shared like very intimate connections to our souls with these albums. That's good so, stuff. Yeah. Really good stuff. That's excellent. So I appreciate hearing that from you guys. And um, I would love to hear if any of our listeners have a pick. Um let us know what it is because it's been great listening through these songs. Maybe you're the same age as us and it'll be uh, some of these same situations where it'll jog our memories in something or introduce, to, introduce us to some music we've never heard before that might affect us, how it affected you. And you can let us know, as always, um, about your favorite album or anything else on our Twitter account, which is at feelingitpod. Um, you can also leave us a review on iTunes if you want. That helps us get visibility um, in the iTunes store so we can reach more people. We really appreciate it. Um, So yeah, let's go around and kind of sign off. Uh, Sandra, where can we find you online? My username on all social media platforms is at Sandra Amstutz, and my last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. I'm Lucas. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lucas and Stuff. And I am Lawson Soured. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at or basically anywhere else, at Lawson West. Make sure to follow us all this week so you can see photos of our Halloween costumes. You're going to want to see those. Yeah. Nope, you're not. You're not going to want to see them. <laughs> you're going to want to see mine. I can promise you that. You're going to want to see Sandra's. You're going to want to see That's mine. True. And Lucas is going to be Barack Obama again. Or Tiger Woods. We'll see. <laughs> 50-50. Oh, man. <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Adios. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. <laughs>